This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So as the weather warms up, we're outside gardening or doing yard work. There are so many opportunities for skin issues, right? And for me, it's always a mystery to know what's going to irritate my skin, but I'm definitely out there itching and scratching. But the good news is active skin repair always seems to save the day. Active skin repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, making it suitable for use on all skin types, all parts of the body, and even on rosacea, eczema, and acne-prone skin. Here's what I want you to do. Visit ActiveSkinRepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and get 20% off your order when you use code JOYFUL. Again, that's www.ActiveSkinRepair.com. Find out more about the product and get 20% off your order when you use the code JOYFUL. The only way that we're really going to change things in a permanent way for our children is that we are working together. And until we're realizing that we need each other in this journey and that we have the power to change the way we raise our kids, to change the way the world looks, Mm -hmm. it really rests with us working together to do that. Hey friends, welcome back to the Joyful Courage Podcast, a place where we tease apart what it means to be a conscious parent and a conscious human on the wild ride of parenting. I am your host, Casey O'Rourke, positive discipline lead trainer, parent coach, and mom walking the path right next to you as I imperfectly raise my own two teens. Joyful Courage, in case you forgot or haven't heard, is all about grit growth on the parenting journey, relationships that provide a sense of connection and meaning, and influential tools that support everyone in being their best selves. As you listen to today's show, pay attention to how grit shows up in the conversation. Also, if you're not already on my email list, I want to remind you, to join. I pop into my subscribers inbox with stories, podcast news, and offers every week. My hope is to make you laugh, to keep you informed, and, you know, just stay connected to all of you around all the Joyful Courage goodness. If you're into it, go to joyfulcourage.com slash email and get signed up. Signing up now will get you the seven tips for connecting with your teens. I will share with you seven tips over seven days that if you put into practice will make a difference in your relationship with your kids. Each day you'll get an action step. Hey friends, welcome back to the Joyful Courage podcast, a place where we tease apart what it means to be a conscious parent and a conscious human on the wild ride of parenting. Thank you for listening. I'm deeply honored as always to lead you. I'm super grateful that what I put out matters to you and thrilled that I get to keep it coming. If you love this show, please take a screenshot and share it on your social media. Please do that. I dare you. I dare you to do that. (laughs) Let your friends know you're listening and finding value. Thank you so much. Enjoy the show. Today is my final mini summit revisit and the conversation that I'm revisiting with all of you on this last 
week of August is my conversation with Dr. Tracy Baxley from the Parenting for a Brave New World mini summit that went live in January of 2021. Dr. Baxley is a mother, cultural coach for parents. She's a speaker and educator and a diversity, inclusion, and equity consultant. She is passionate around supporting families with intentional parenting for today, for a more humane world tomorrow. She is the founder of Social Justice Parenting, look it up on Instagram, a philosophy that is rooted in radical love and activism. In her work with parents, Dr. Baxley discusses new ideas in parenting for our current social climate that moves families away from fear-based parenting styles. Social justice parenting guides parents in raising independent, compassionate, and socially conscious children. I adore this woman. I am currently enrolled in her social justice parenting program, and I feel so fortunate to be in relationship with her. I know you will love this interview. Enjoy. Hi, Tracy. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for having me. This is very exciting to be a part of this this whole platform that you're putting together. Well, I am so happy that you accepted my invitation to be a part of the summit. In the past, I've focused really on ages and stages and particular topics, but this one is a little bit different. It's designed to tease apart the here and now with all that we're experiencing, the effects and the fallout of the global pandemic, shifts in social and racial dynamics, and the change in leadership. I mean, it's just like so much right now. (laughs) Yeah. And listen, and your brand new world is the perfect title, right? Right. Entering something completely new that we're going to have to be prepared for. Yeah. I'm grateful for that title too, the Brave New World. And I'm grateful for it because there was another title that was a possibility and it didn't pan out. So I'm glad that this is the one. I won't go into details. I think I told you when we initially talked. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about how this year has influenced your work and the work that you're doing with families? Yes, this year has certainly changed my scope of the way that I connect with parents. I consider myself a belonging advocate. Right. Mm, I'm passionate about everybody finding a safe place where they can bring their whole authentic selves. Right. Mm -hmm. Whether it's in the homes, in the workplace or in society in general. And with that, my background is focused on diversity and inclusion. And I think this summer, really racial reckoning was really part of this movement of people kind of waking up a little bit. So the pandemic and then the racial reckoning, really more eyeballs are on the work that I do. Mm -hmm. And I think people are seeing it less as kind of supplemental rework and more mandated work that Mm -hmm. we need to be doing. I think people are realizing that it's our jobs to make sure, especially as parents, that we are more conscious and more intentional about the way we're raising our children. And so I guess in a nutshell, I'm busy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, it's bittersweet, right? It's exciting that people are seeing that they have a part to play. Mm-hmm. But it's also sad because we've had to get ourselves to this point where people are seeing that they have a part to play. So, Yeah. Well, as I listen to you, like the waking up and the seeing that we have a part to play, like there's a particular part of the population who have been awake, (laughs) right? And recognize like this sucks for us. So finally, 
The majority of my audience is white. Will Mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about what social justice parenting looks like for white families? And I'm guessing it, it does have to do with that. Like what you just said around, you know, this is the feeling is this is no longer optional. Right. Yes. And I will say to your point, my audience, especially on Instagram, has grown exponentially Mm -hmm. over the last six to eight months. And a lot of them are white moms who Mm -hmm. want to learn, want to do, want to raise their kids differently, Yeah, which I really appreciate. Right. But if we are being open and honest and having real conversations, you know, we as me as a black mother, We are waiting for you guys because Mm -hmm. the only way that we're really going to change things in a permanent way for our children is that we are working together. And I call it like this movement of moms or this mosaic of mothers who really, I think, are the catalyst for change. And until we're realizing that we need each other in this journey and that we have the power to change the way we raise our kids, to change the way the world looks, Mm-hmm. it really rests with us working together to do that. Yeah. And so social justice parenting, really it's not just for white parents, right? It's for all sure, parents, sure. for us to be intentional about how we are raising our children, to really look at our core values as families, right? Having core values and how everything that we do align with those core values that we set for our families. And so it's about, it also includes teaching our kids to be compassionate and to be kind and to learn how to self-advocate. And also it includes being anti-racist parents, right? Mm -hmm. What are we doing to change the landscape of our society, of our country, of our world, so that everybody belongs, everybody feels like they have a space where they can be themselves? Well, the word anti-racist, can you tease apart? Because I feel like that's one of the words that has really kind of risen to the surface over the last six to eight months you know, anti-racist, right? So how is that different than, you know, just like, well, I'm not a racist. (laughs) Yes, yes. So that's kind of been the sticky point in the last few months. Um, People who feel like they are, and I'm doing my air quotes, right? Good people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're good people. We're raising our children to be good people. But we're seeing that being a good person, it's not enough, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of those people who were involved in negative racial things and maybe the police officer that was kneeling on the neck of George Floyd thought he was a good person. Mm -hmm. And maybe his family says he's a good person. Mm -hmm. But when we're living in a world where we're equating good for anti-racist, then that's where there's the disconnect. Mm -hmm. So anti-racist is really about being proactive to not be racist. Mm -hmm. So it's not just about being a good person and not being racist, but it's about being proactive and doing things to disassemble uh, systemic racism. What are we teaching our kids Mm -hmm. beyond being good, but what are we teaching them about the real world and about the world not being fair for everybody? often based on the color of their skins. And what are we going to do as as families to support the unraveling of this? Yeah, thank you. I know for me personally, I live in a very white community up here in Bellingham, Washington, in our own little corner. And when it was time to rally, my family, you know, showed up. It felt good. You know, we gathered in the park with thousands of other people. I was really glad to see how many people showed up, you know, for a day of acknowledging what was happening. And, you know, as I looked around, it was, you know, all the white people of my community. I'm grateful that we're progressive. Well, quote, progressive minded. Right. 
And my kids were there and the speakers were all people of color and it felt really good. And there's this, you know, a lot of, there has been a lot of talk that as well as like the anti-racist rhetoric, there's also the difference between performative social justice versus like an activated social justice. Can you tease those two things apart? Because it felt really good to go to the park and be around the people and hold my sign and talk a little bit about (laughs) what else. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to kind of do like a little bit of play on each one back and forth. So you can just kind of see a little bit of difference. So performative often is where you're centering yourself. When you're activated, it's you're centering the cause. Performative is where you're kind of taking up space. Mm-hmm. Where activated is like you're making space for others. Oh, I love that. Um, yeah. Like performative would be where you're speaking more than you're listening. Like mm-hmm. you are kind of taking the lead in a space where you should be doing more listening. Mm-hmm. So activated means you're doing more listening, less speaking, and you speak only when it serves the cause and not yourself. Mm. And so if it feels easy or effortless, or <laughs> if you stopped, that means you've been doing perhaps more performative type of activism. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you are in the Black community, it doesn't stop. Right. Right. It's something that you have to consistently be a part of and you don't get to kind of say I'm tired or not today. Mm -hmm. So when you think about the way you show up and how you show up and how often you show up, it could kind of clue you in on which way you're doing social justice. And a lot of people use these terms like woke and that are more hashtaggy. Yeah. Without really doing the work. And so I often, every couple of weeks, I will post something on my social justice parenting social media to Mm -hmm. say, are you still doing the work? Right. Mm -hmm. Because now the lights are dimmed. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily in the news every day. It's not as cool or as trendy. And so those who are still doing the work are maybe more activated social justice, where even though it's passed in the limelight, They're still figuring out what am I doing? What should I be doing in my home, outside of my home to make sure there is opportunities and equity for everyone? Belonging advocate. I love that. Thank you for teasing that apart even better. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Thank God. Spring into summer is my favorite time of year. After turning 50 last September, I've been really working on my physical health and well-being and can honestly say that I am feeling better in my body than I have felt in a very long time. Yes, credit goes to movement and working out, but even more credit goes to how I'm feeding my body. That's why I love Factor. I fuel up with Factor's no prep, no mess meals, 35 different meal choices, and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. I always have a new flavor to explore. It's amazing. You can crush your wellness goals this May, keep time in the kitchen to a minimum, and enjoy effortless support for the lifestyle you want to be living with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust from Factor. Head over to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use the code joyful50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. 
That's code JOYFUL50 at factormeals.com slash JOYFUL50. Again, that's 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Yes, yes, yes. Join me. Join me in the health revolution and feel really good this summer. Hey friends, as a podcast listener myself, I always get so excited to share when I find a new show that I think is super useful. So today I want to tell you about Understood Explains. This is a podcast that tackles one important topic per season. And this season is all about navigating individualized education plans and is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ertube. Getting the support our kids need in school can feel tricky, and we aren't always sure what it is that they need. When I listened to the episode titled, Does My Child Need an IEP? It offered up so much useful information that I could really see supporting parents who are in this consideration. The host is so knowledgeable and really breaks down the content in a way that helps listener go from completely overwhelmed to actually starting to feel empowered. Other episodes in the series highlight the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, as well as a whole episode that busts common myths about special education. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Understood Explains. So check it out. You won't be sorry. As you were talking, I was thinking about temperament as well and how, you know, as I've done my own work around moving from performative to activated, I also recognize that I really like to be the center of attention. <laughs> well, you know what? That's great that you recognize that though, right? The yeah. self-reflection is the hardest piece. For sure. For yes. sure. It's the yeah. first piece too, but it is the most difficult yeah. Well, and I remember a friend of mine a couple of years ago did a conference called Diversity in Parenting, and you might know Mercedes, and it was in Anaheim, California, and she was really looking for conversations that included everyone, parent-wise, as well as people that were serving parents. And I remember when she initially did the call out for speakers, my first instinct was, oh, yeah, I'll be a speaker. I love the stage. I love the mic. And then I thought to myself, and maybe I am going to see if I can volunteer to be backstage and be in support of this. And I'm so glad that I did. It felt so good. And it was to this day, the only conference that I've ever been to where, you know, it was 80, 90% people of color, mostly women in the audience, as well as on the stage. And it just felt so good to yeah. be a supporter versus like, look at me, listen to what I have to say. And, and yes. I, you know, and recognizing just who I am inside of that was also a fun little process. That's powerful. It really is. And that's what true allyship looks like. Mm. So good for you. Thank you. I have a long ways to go, though, my friend. So, But we all do. I already emailed you and said, I might need yeah. to hire you. <laughs> <laughs> we all do, though. But that reckoning, you know, with yeah. self, yeah. it's the most important part because we can't show up to be the best parents that we can be mm. when we don't show up truly and authentically for ourselves. Like yeah. we really have to dig to see what those sticky points are inside 
so that we can work on those things to be better for our kids. Yeah. Well, and in my research of you, my deep dive into your website and all of your work, I found your TEDx talk. It was a TEDx talk, right? It was, yeah. Yeah, about social justice parenting. And I'll make sure that the link is in the transcripts, everyone who's listening, so you can access that. And you have created a really lovely framework for moving into social justice parenting that you call ROCKS. Can you share the framework with the listeners and the different parts of it? Awesome. I would love to. Yeah. And I just, matter of fact, I am writing a book on it right now. Matter of fact, I just, while we're taping this last week, I just gave the book manuscript to my editor at the publisher. So we're hoping next fall it'll be out. Beautiful. I'll have you on the podcast so that we can promote next fall. Oh, yeah. Awesome. awesome. Sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. But this is a great segue because the ROCKS um, stand, it's an acronym for, Mm -hmm. right, how we show up for our kids and how we show up for ourselves. And the R in ROCKS is reflection. Mm-hmm. And so we can't be our best selves until we do that. We have to look at our past experiences. We have to look at our childhood memories. We have to look at our biases, our the stereotypes that we hold, really to unpack those things in order to really be more intentional about what we bring to our parenting that we want to keep from the past and what we consciously want to leave behind or change because they no longer serve us. So the reflection part is the first cornerstone of social justice parenting. The O is for open dialogue. And the open dialogue is the dialogue that you have with yourself, the way that you respond to your children's and their questions and these hard topics. Lately, it's obviously it's race related. A lot of parents are asking me, how do I talk to my kids about racism? How do I start the dialogue? And so it's about the importance of having these dialogues Mm -hmm. because the silence is teaching a whole different message that you may not want to be teaching your children. Right. And the C is for compassion. So again, starting with self, how are we being compassionate with our own selves? How are we teaching our children and modeling compassion in our homes? And then what does compassion look like outside of our homes in the community and in the world? The K is for kindness. So I view kindness as compassion put into action. Mm. So again, starting with self, we are very hard on ourselves as women. Yeah. So how do we show self-kindness and what does that look like? And how does that model for our kids? And then teaching our kids, building this, I call it a habit of kindness of doing small acts of kindness or little things and how it shows up big in the world and how being kind is great for the receiver, but man, is it great for the giver too. Mm -hmm. So it shows this kind of cycle of how how kindness changes all of us. And then the last S in rocks is social justice engagement. So this is where we're taking all those things that we learned in the ROCK And we're taking it out into the real world. So this is about the activism piece. This is about showing up for others in ways that changes the landscape, our society in terms of belonging and equity. Mm -hmm. I love what, there's just such an easy flow to all of that. And it looks so simple on paper. And, you know, (laughs) even just starting with reflection and being willing to step into our conditioning, you know, like, in a way, I'm really interested in that tension between, oh, wow, they're, you know, like the implicit bias that I hold in my body and the messaging that I got from my parents who were a product of their conditioning and how to, like, when I go way back, I am mortified by my family's history inside of, you know, race, racial Mm -hmm. dynamics and being with 
my love for my family while also being in this place of like completely grossed out, you know, and at the same time, it feels really just, it's an interesting, you know, like I've laughed with my husband, like I really want to do one of those like genealogical whatever. What are they called? Like, yeah. I want to say forever 21. That is not what it's called. 23 <laughs> and me. That's what it's called. Yeah, that is. Yeah, it is. That's one of them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also really nervous to trace back my lineage and find out what my people were a part of. And, you know, it's really been this year where I've had to say, you know, I don't get to let that stop me from learning and growing and being with what's been in my legacy. And also, you know, wanting to allow that to propel me into, you know, interrupting yes. what's been in my lineage. How do you find parents interacting and intersecting with that reflection process and recognizing their own family of upbringing, you know, family of mm -hmm. origin dynamic? Yeah, I think that's the hardest part. We spend a lot of time on the self-reflection. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to, I always say, you know, about giving yourself grace, right? That's mm -hmm. really important to give yourself grace. You can't change the generations before you, mm -hmm. but you can be the linchpin, right? To stop that mm -hmm. and create a new legacy for your children and the generations that follow. And so if you look at that as being, as the power to change things, it could give you a little bit more energy to stay, stay fast to what yeah. you're trying to do. I think a lot of it, and you touched on in telling your story, thank you for being vulnerable and telling mm -hmm. that part of your story. I think a lot of it is fear, right? It's a fear about what I will uncover. Mm -hmm. It's a fear about who I will, my, the change that I make, what, how it would impact others. Also, it's the fear of when I'm confronted with certain things, I'm going to have to make changes. I'm going to have to set new boundaries. Mm -hmm. I may even have to let some relationships go. Yeah. And so that is the hard part of the work of being an anti-racist parent or trying to be a social justice parent is really getting past that fear and allowing that vulnerability that comes along with fear to give you the courage to kind of move forward. Yeah. And I know Renee Brown talks a lot about that, mm -hmm. you know, but her vulnerability work is that if you don't push yourself through the fear, you can't get to the other side of that, which is, you know, the courage part, Yeah, you know, about joyful courage. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Walk my talk, but, yeah. everyone. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I think fear holds a lot of people back from doing that work. Yeah, um, I help people walk through that fear mm -hmm. and support them through that. And, you know, it's uncomfortable work and you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. That's just part of the journey. And if you know that going in, it at least gives you something to lean on as you're going through the most uncomfortable parts. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tracy, for being willing to hold space for people to tease all of that apart. I'm guessing at times it can be exhausting. I hope you have a good self-care routine. Yeah, it is exhausting, but it's really feel like it's my calling and I'm an yeah. empath. So when you're mm. hurting, I feel your hurt, which is why it's a part of my practice to go through it with you. Mm -hmm. It's just, I guess it's just the way that I navigate in the world. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of my counterparts are very focused on, especially when we're talking about white moms, mm -hmm. that it's your responsibility or their responsibility to do the work, that I'm not here to do the work for you, mm -hmm. that we're tired and angry and exhausted. But I just feel like it is my job because mm -hmm. I've lived it. 
Mm-hmm. And it is my job to support and hold space because ultimately, in a selfish way, right, it's about my own kids too. If yeah. you're not doing the work and you can't see it and you're not ready to make the change, then ultimately my kids suffer for that as well. And yeah. so, I mean, I wanted us to get to the point that we are a team and we're working to change the world for all of our children. Yes. And I definitely resonate with discomfort. I feel like discomfort typically in some domains is my happy place. Because <laughs> mm. I do feel like when discomfort's in the room or even fear, I have a friend who says when fear is here, the teacher's in the room. I love that. Oh, yeah, I like discomfort that. is really our own internal indicator that there's something here. And when we can be with it, there's so much possibility. And sometimes when we're not super conscious and the discomfort shows up, it can inhibit us, like you said, especially around that open dialogue piece. I can resonate with not wanting to say the wrong things when I talk Mm -hmm. about race with my kids. Like I mentioned, I am aware of my conditioning. I know that I have implicit bias that I continue to discover, uncover, and am blind to. And it's a struggle to feel like I can unpack it in a way that I feel like I'm making any progress because sometimes in my mind, like I can tease it apart in my mind and I still notice my instincts in the world, you know, of how I respond to what I'm seeing. And it's always an interesting practice to be like, oh, that's an interesting thought to have right now. Like, is it true? No. Is it old? Yes. And talking with my kids, sometimes, you know, I have to remember, like, the important thing is that I'm doing it and I work to point things out. I work to be curious. I work to uncover, discover, you know, what their views are. Mm -hmm. And I have to say sometimes, like, okay, I don't know if I'm making any sense or making my point here, but (laughs) thank you for being with me as we tease this apart. Yeah, but you let I'm gonna stop you for one second because you said something really powerful that I think I want to reiterate so people can really hear what you just said. Okay. It's so good. Oh yay. Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) When you talked about when these thoughts come up Mm -hmm. as you're processing and you're asking yourself, okay, where am I with this? Where is it coming from? Is it all? Is it something I need to kind of rumble with more? That is what you should be teaching your children, Mm -hmm. right? Those moments, you should have those out loud in the presence of your children because it is modeling for them what they need to do when they're coming across this on their own. Like we have all of these thoughts in our own minds that we figure out and a nanosecond, right? In our minds, we've played all this. But when you do that out loud, it is such a beautiful moment for your children to learn Mm. and to be able to do this on their own when they are making changes in their own lives. They're trying to advocate for themselves. Don't fear that. Lean into that, really. And have those moments with your children because they need to see that you don't have it all together because it takes the pressure off of them to feel like they have to have it together. Mm-hmm. And when you are learning and unlearning, doing that with them is such a gift that mm. you give to them as they grow up and they learn and they are trying to figure things out themselves. Yeah. So I think that's beautiful that you are doing that reflection. Um, I would just say, don't be afraid to do it out loud in front of your children because it's really a gift to them. Well, and that tracks really well just with a lot of the work that I do with parents around like self-regulation and talking yes. about 
you know, I'm feeling this way right now. I'm going to go take some time for myself. You know, I love that I'm connecting really good dots here around like there isn't only one space for that. Like it's really important, especially because like I mentioned, I don't know where everyone who's listening is listening in from. But if you live in a community that is pretty, you know, Mm non-diverse, then there, you know, it's easy, I think, to start to feel like, well, I mean, there really is no quote race relations here because we're all white or we're all this or we're all that. And I think for me, I have even more of a sense of urgency to be having these conversations because it's missing. Like diversity is missing in our community. Racial diversity is missing in our community. And so- Yeah, and that's giving quite loud messages to your children. Yeah. Well, I say it's missing, but it's not missing when I think about, you know, the the music that they're listening to and, you know, the shows that we tend to watch tend to, you mm-hmm. know, get ever better at a more diverse cast. And it's funny because now when we watch older movies or older shows, it's so like, it's right in my face. And I pointed out, I'm the kids are like, yeah, yeah, mom. But I'm always like, whoa, look, there's no people of color on this show, you know? And yeah. just noticing, you know, even though our physical community is, you know, homogeneous, there's so much diversity in the arts and in the world that we get to tap into. And I choose to tap into with my kids because of that lack in our physical environment. Yeah. And I think that's a great place to start, right? You can control what's going on in your home Mm -hmm. and what you bring into your home and what you highlight in your home. And I love that your kids are like, yeah, yeah. You know, (laughs) Because my kids are like that too, just so you know. (laughs) (laughs) I get the eye rolling and like when I pause movies in the middle, like, okay, let's let's, let's unpack this. (laughs) But I've also seen it come back, you know? I see my kids at some point say, you know, when we did this, you know, it made me think about this. Or when I was with my friends, it made me be more open to have this discussion Mm -hmm. or whatever. So the eye rolling and the hand crossing, it's all Mm -hmm. good because it's going in, you know, it'll come out in different ways. And I think you making time and space for that in your home will pay dividends to your children as they navigate in the world. Do you have any other ideas for, because I'm sure I'm not the only one, you know, in a community that looks like me, who is trying to bring more conversations about race into the family? Like, what are some other thoughts or ideas that you have for people, you know, that are useful Mm -hmm. and more than just, I don't know. I feel like everybody says, bring in literature that, which yes, yes, yes. And I know that there's some deeper moves that we can make. Yeah. The low hanging fruit are, Mm -hmm. you know, the movies and the Mm -hmm. books. And, you know, if you have younger children, the dolls and the toys that they play with are all low hanging fruit. So if you're just getting started, those are great places to start. I would say the next level is, you know, expanding outside of your home in terms of, you know, going to black owned restaurants Mm -hmm. or, you know, being more involved in cultural events in your neighborhood or in your town, you know, if there are certain art exhibits or certain festivals, you know, being more inclusive in how you navigate in your community. Mm -hmm. Also, maybe a little bit level above that would be things like how you normalize Black excellence around you, right? Could, Could you go to a Black pediatrician? Could you go to a Black dentist? Could you go to a pharmacists of color, like Mm -hmm. how do you show your children that these professional roles in the world 
are occupied by more than just white people. So mm-hmm. maybe that means you have to drive 30 minutes outside of your bubble to take your kids to their tutor or their music mm-hmm. teacher or mm-hmm. things like that. And then the next level, which to me is a little bit more difficult for some parents, is to really have those conversations about privilege. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? What do we have? And how do we use that privilege in a way to promote change? Mm-hmm. So right now, you know, the idea of privilege is being used as a weapon. It's weaponizing and pitting people against each other. Talk more about that. Well, I see when people are using the word privilege, in particular right now, I'm going to talk about white privilege. Mm-hmm. It sets people off right? It divides us. It makes people angry. It makes people feel guilty. It makes people feel all kinds of feels. And I think the way that I like to present this idea of privilege is looking at privilege from multiple identities. So I'm a Black woman. And in Mm -hmm. those identities, I am generally marginalized in our country, Mm -hmm. right? So this idea of privilege is socially constructed so that it just depends on where you live. But Mm -hmm. in the United States, being mm-hmm. a Black woman is are both marginalized identities that mm-hmm. I don't have privilege in. Right. But I'm also middle class, right, in, in terms of socioeconomic. Mm-hmm. I'm also heterosexual. Mm-hmm. I'm cisgendered, mm-hmm. right? I am a Christian. Mm-hmm. So in all of those spaces, I occupy privilege just in the fact that I identify in those ways. Nothing that I've done mm-hmm. just because of that's who I am. So Instead of looking at those privileges as something negative or Mm -hmm. using it as a weapon against people, I want to use that as a tool for change. So how in my role as a straight woman, how can I use that role to be an ally for people in the LGBTQ community, Mm -hmm. right? So I'm choosing to use that not as a weapon saying negative things or I'm not going to feel guilty because the world sees me being straight as quote unquote normal. Right. Instead, I'm going to say, okay, I have inherited this identity, Mm -hmm. this privilege. So how do I use that privilege in a way that I'm serving others so that there's equity and that my place of power can be used to uplift those who don't have it. Mm. So we have to talk to our children about the privileges that we hold as a family. So Mm -hmm. I talk to my kids, we have more money than a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And with that privilege comes some responsibility. Mm -hmm. How are we giving back? What are we doing? How are we not spending money wastefully? How do we support families, especially now in COVID, right, Mm -hmm. who have lost their jobs and they need more support? What do we need to do to be able to support them? And so I think people are afraid to talk about privilege, but I think as a family, we all have some privileges. Mm -hmm. And how do we use that and how do we show up in the world with those can be powerful lessons to our children that they can then go out into the real world and see and use those in ways that they can make powerful changes. Tracy, you just totally elevated something that I say a lot in a different context, which is with privilege comes responsibility. Typically, I use that as, hey, if you bought them a phone, that's a privilege. And they've got some responsibilities to maintain their relationship with their phone. And you just put it in this such an expansive up-leveled way. I'm so grateful that you used that language and that you used yourself as an example, because I think a lot, especially white people, you know, 
there's this whole argument of like, I don't have privilege. I was born poor and I, you know, I've had to struggle and I work hard. Like there's some kind of attack on whether or not they've been struggle or they're, you know, are they not deserving of what they have? And you really, in your explanation, I think expanded that into just recognizing, you know, all the places, like it's not just a black or white thing with privilege. It's, you know, like you said, our sexuality, our gender, how all the different ways that we identify. So I really encourage people that are listening right now to take your own time in reflection, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe, you know, create a list of all the ways that privilege shows up in your life. And then as Tracy has invited all of us to do, so what are our responsibilities knowing that those things exist for us and privilege is a part of our life. And, you know, and when I think about responsibility, Tracy, I wonder, I'm curious because, you know, we're all show up in the world differently. So one person's move towards stepping into the responsibility that they have for the privilege that they have might look really spectacular. I don't know if that's the right word Mm -hmm. (laughs) for this moment, but like, you know, there's the really And now actually I'm thinking, okay, case performative versus activated. Like there's things that might seem big. And then there's, you know, because of who we are, who we might be Mm -hmm. intersecting with this, like there might be things that are a little more low key, you know, and I wonder if anyone is sitting inside of any kind of feelings around, like, I can't go to all the rallies. I can't go to all the marches. I can't do all the things. So can you talk a little bit about that? I call it quiet activism. Okay. Right. It doesn't make it less powerful, but you do it in a way that's behind the scenes. You may be writing letters. Mm-hmm. You may be in charge okay. of somebody's social media page that you're uploading things for them. Mm-hmm. You may be taking pictures that you're putting up on your website that or your social media that brings attention. So there's some quiet spaces that you can mm-hmm. do that in that you don't have to be. I think it's reframing the way that we think about or define activism. Mm-hmm. But there are some definitely some quiet things that you can do that, you know, there's sometimes that I don't take my kids to a rally. So mm-hmm. then we do other things like mm-hmm. we're writing the letters, we're calling our congressmen or women, mm-hmm. we are bringing the waters or the food, you know, right. so there's a lot of things that can be done that are still needed mm-hmm. in movements and activism and just social justice engagement. Mm-hmm. So this broaden our definition of how we see yes. that. And for some people right now where you are, it could be bringing in more books in your home Mm -hmm. with people of color. Like, you know, the idea is that you're always taking action, whatever that action is. And if you are comfortable in that action, then it's not enough. Mm -hmm. So you want to be doing action. Yeah. Will you say that again, Tracy? Because I think that's a really powerful statement. Right. So if you're doing an action that you feel really comfortable with or you feel good about and you're checking that off as your action, it's not enough. Mm-hmm. Every action that you take should make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Okay. And once you're comfortable there, you need to push yourself to the next level. Mm-hmm. So again, going back to that, being comfortable with being uncomfortable is really where you want to sit. It's a good place to sit. Yeah. Because your kids, Tracy, deserve that. Yes. Right. And all kids, you know, all kids deserve that. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I know a lot of you out there listening have younger kids as well as teenagers in the house, and I'm excited to share with you about a new show that you and your younger kids are going to love. It's called Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs. The series explores themes like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and so much more. Math is geared towards kids ages six and up and can be enjoyed by the whole family. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, the perfect length for a car ride, mealtime, break times, or bedtime. Each is stacked with so much laughter that your kids won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Listen, I'm so excited to give you an update on Songfinch. Songfinch delivers. I shared last month that I was going to have them create an original song for Ian, my graduating senior. Well, the song is done and the process of co-creating it with the artist on Songfinch was so cool. I got to provide details and ideas and then the musician of my choice wrote up the lyrics put it to the music that I picked. And the results are so cool. I can't wait to surprise Ian with it. I will be sure to record it and share it with all of you. Songfinch is an innovative service that lets you create an original radio quality song inspired by your own life and the people you love. It's completely unique, personal, and it lasts forever. After moving through their process, you get the final results in four to seven days. For a limited time, Songfinch is letting our listeners upload their song to Spotify for free. So you and the lucky person you gift it to can listen to it anywhere, anytime. Whether your song is for Father's Day, an upcoming graduation, wedding, or anniversary, or even just a gift to show your loved one how much you care. Start your song now to lock in one of Songfinch's top artists. Go to songfinch.com slash joyful and start your song. After you purchase, you'll be prompted to add Spotify streaming for your original song for free, which is a $50 value. Again, my URL is songfinch.com slash joyful. Don't forget to share your song with us too. songfinch.com slash joyful. Service to all kids is moving from a place of what you call radical love, modeling that for my kids, giving them experiences and seeing action in the world, which is what you speak into. Um, Yeah. Talk about radical love. Yeah. I see radical love is like regular love on steroids (laughs) a little bit, right? (laughs) I think it's like, I always say radical love was like a cup of coffee. It would be like an espresso Mm-hmm. So it's really about this unconditional love that sees the humanity or humanness in everyone, everywhere we go. Mm-hmm. So it's about doing more listening and less talking. It's about open dialogue, open heart. It's about you seeing my kids as your kids mm-hmm. and me seeing, you know, it's about creating this real village of love, even when we don't agree, but it's about this open hearted listening and doing things 
for the sake of others, even when it makes us uncomfortable. And I think if we all lived in that space, we could really change the way we show up in the world and it can change the way we see each other and the way we interact with each other. And so I really think that if we parent from the space of radical love, we're then teaching our kids who will go out into the world and have the same kind of radical love with the way that they interact with each other. And I just, as an example, and this is Mm -hmm. probably not a great example, but I just think about the officer that kneeled on George Floyd, like Mm -hmm. he was not practicing radical love, right? If he saw the humanness in this other human being, Mm -hmm. this could not have happened. Mm -hmm. And again, this sounds very radical. Do you want to raise the kind of person who would be okay with kneeling on the neck of another human being Mm -hmm. and not seeing their humanness? Or do we want to raise children would see something like that happening and it not be okay. Yeah. Sorry, I feel like I want to cry. But as human beings, we have to practice radical love because it changes the way that we show up in spaces. Yeah. It changes the way we interact with each other. That's so huge. It makes me think of, and I'm not a Buddhist, but I tend to, I like to read about Buddhism. And there's a concept in Buddhism called Buddha nature. And it's the idea that every human inside of them has the Buddha nature, right? And that's what I'm thinking about when you say having the radical love to see the humanness inside of another person, regardless of the layers of, you know, we all start as these little pure beings, right? And then as we Mm -hmm. move through our life experiences, the layers show up and the conditioning and sometimes an armor can look a lot of different ways. And there's just kind of these layers that build up around what continues to be this pure, sweet human nature and soul and way of being. And what I'm really hearing you say is like, we all that exists in every single person. And when we can remember that everybody's somebody's child, right? That sometimes comes to mind for me. And when people are, you know, creating havoc in the world, I just think about like, wow, what kind of hurt must that person be living inside of for them to make that decision and to hurt others so deeply? And, you know, thinking about your rocks, like finding that compassion as well, Not as an Mm -hmm. excuse. It's not an excuse. It doesn't make it okay. But yeah, seeing that humanness in others, I think is so powerful. And again, coming back to what you said, how important it is to be explicitly modeling that thought process in front of our kids. So powerful. Mm. It is a brave new world. Yes. Yes. Shout out. Yep. Step into it. Yes. Yes. And shout out to the first female mixed race VP. Hello. Yes. And so far to go. I mean, like just so many people who aren't seeing the shifts being made as a positive thing. What do you think is so scary to people about like making these very positive, important, inclusive changes? I think the fear is the unknown. I think people are fearful, maybe losing power by allowing, you know, others a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. I think people are afraid that that somehow if the world looks different, if different people are in power, it will somehow disempower them. Mm. And I just think we don't know enough about each other. 
Yeah. And I think the more that we get to know each other, the more that we go back, you know, to seeing that humanness in all of us and finding ways to compromise and finding ways to work together. Yeah. It's a good goal. This fear is if we don't get control of the fear, it just kind of takes over the way we think and interact and the way we show up. And I think we're seeing a lot of that right now. And that fear is being stirred by people in power, yeah. which is causing more division. And we need to work on how we can figure out how to work together more. And I think moms do that. Heck this yeah. movement of moms. Yep. That's the way that we start directing ourselves back to radical love. Yeah. And I feel hopeful. I try to stay in the place of feeling hopeful. Otherwise, yeah. the fear does take over. Yeah. So staying open and hopeful and you know, seeing the promises of what can be is a great way to kind of navigate in a space when that fear starts to creep Mm, up. So good. I'll meet you in the hopeful space. Because I feel hopeful too. I feel good. I feel excited. I feel like, you know, the unknown has infinite possibilities and, you know, and many of which are like better and exciting and for all of us. For all of us. And it's funny too, because in parenting, like when we're, I'm talking about parenting, one of the pillars of what I teach, which is positive discipline, is conversations around what it looks like to share power. And, you mm-hmm. know, and recognizing that there's people that can buy into that in the context of their family. And yet yes. looking out into the world and, you know, looking at a model of shared power can feel like, and recognizing like, one of the reasons it's hard to go there inside of our family sometimes is because there's no good examples out in the world of, you know, really quality horizontal leadership and, you know, really truly sharing power. And and so when there's no examples, it can feel, I'm going to use the word radical here too. It can feel radical. It feels like, ah, like I'm on the cutting edge here and I'm not sure how this is going to pan out because I haven't seen it before. Yes. And so I just invite everyone who's listening to be there, be there in that brave new world edge, be there in that space of like, whoa, what is this going to look like? Because it's got to be beautiful. I mean, I just like, there's no... You know, when I watch, you know, Joe Biden make an effort in who he's putting into different offices and different leadership roles in his, you know, cabinet, it's exciting to think about seeing pictures and seeing people speaking on national television who represent, you know, our whole country. And, yeah. you know, it just feels good. It just feels good. So, yeah, representation matters. Representation matters for sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm. All right, Tracy, I could talk to you for so long. <laughs> Is there anything else that you want to leave listeners with before we wrap up? I guess I could reiterate the idea of being comfortable with being uh, being mm-hmm. comfortable with being uncomfortable and knowing that you you'll make mistakes and it's yep. okay. When you're open and vulnerable with your children, you're teaching lessons that will, will last a lifetime for them. And I just showing up, you know, showing yeah. up and being open and it's worth moving past the fear. Mm, yeah. Where can everyone find you and follow you? I am on Instagram at Social Justice Parenting. That's where most of my followers are. Mm-hmm. My website is the same name, socialjusticeparenting.com. And I'm also on LinkedIn at Tracy, T-R-A-C-I, Baxley. 
if anybody wants to follow me there, I do more of the corporate mm-hmm. diversity and inclusion stuff there. But um, the parenting things are mostly on Instagram at Social Justice Parenting. Awesome. And Tracy is a coach. I want to make sure everybody knows that. Tracy works one-on-one with people. And if you maybe are thinking that your company could use a little bit of Tracy, like really explore her website because there's a lot there and there's a lot that you do beyond you know, the parenting piece. So I am so grateful to you for spending time with me and sharing your expertise and supporting all of us in learning how to be better and to raise the allies that Brave New World needs. So thank you so much. Thank you, Casey. This has been fantastic. Yes. Thank you. Thanks to Tracy. Thanks to all of you for listening. I know that you enjoyed the show. I love that interview with Dr. Baxley. Oh my gosh. Okay. Wrapping it up. Don't forget, sign up for my newsletter, joyfulcourage.com slash email. Get those seven tips for connecting with your teens. Do it. Do it now so we can be ever more connected. You can find and purchase all the summits at joyfulcourage.com slash 2020MS. All the links are in the show notes, so don't freak out. Also, be sure to follow me in all the places. I love connecting with you on social media. If you feel inspired and you haven't already, please do me a favor. Yes, you've heard me ask this 100 billion times, and if you haven't done it yet, this is the week. This is the week that you could do it. Head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. It doesn't have to be long doesn't have to be super detailed. I'm just working so hard, you guys, to stand out and make a huge impact on families. And when you write a review, you're really giving back in a really nice way. You're helping the podcast to be seen by even more parents. And you know what? If writing a review isn't your jam, like I said at the intro, just grab a screenshot of the podcast and share it in your Facebook or Instagram stories. Tag me. I'll repost it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, friends, you know what we like to do at the end of my podcast. If you're still listening with me right now, I want you to take a deep breath, ride it into your body. Do a little scan, do a little noticing of the body. And as you exhale, lift up and out, find your balcony seat, get some perspective, invite some trust, some faith, some belief that everything is going to be okay. I'll see you next week with a brand new show. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.